Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. I want to speak to you this morning from a sermon titled, Christianity is about loving God. Pray with me. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for proving your love to us on Calvary and in so many ways before and beyond that. Thank you, God, for your spirit. I pray that you would anoint me to say what you'd have me to say. God, I pray that you would elevate our love for you. I pray that you would elevate our faith, God. I pray that you would increase our worship, increase our praise. God, you deserve so much more than we have given you, and we repent of that, God. And we ask you, Lord, to fill us with your spirit and let us bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Christianity is about loving God. If you ask 20 different people what Christianity is about, you might get 20 different answers. If you ask me on 20 different days what Christianity is about, you might get 20 different answers because Christianity involves a lot of things. Uh, So many people have gotten this one cliche and they put it on their vision statement that Christianity is not about rules and regulations, it's about a relationship with a living God, and that's real, but every relationship has rules. Uh, if you don't believe me, I encourage you, if, if, you, uh, if Elder Jimmy, uh, he's in relationship with his wife, Nancy, and now there are rules and regulations in every relationship, and if y'all, if y'all don't believe that, encourage him not to go home for three weeks. Don't call, don't tell. Nancy got big-eyed on that. She's like, don't mess with my marriage. Talk to Deacon Dixon over here. There are rules in relationships. If if Sonia just decided, ah, Deacon can make it by himself, I'm just going to check out for four or five days. I ain't even going to let him know. There's rules to every relationship. Do you get it? So if someone asks you what Christianity is about, what's about being born again? It's about having a relationship with a living God. It's about an intimate, ongoing, personal, life-changing, dynamic, all-encompassing obsession with the creator of all that there is. Jesus said, if you don't love God more than you love everything else, you're not even worthy to call yourself his follower. So many people have that, uh, what's that product? I always forget the name. Uh, Little dab will do you? Brill cream. So many people have that Brill Cream religion. Well, a little dab will do you. People want a little dab of Christianity. People want to add Christianity into their schedule. People want to say, well, you know, I still want to do what I want to do, say what I want to say, dance how I want to dance, and play how I want to play. But, uh, you know, I feel guilty about my lifestyle, so let me throw church at it every now and then. That's not Christianity. God did not send his son to to this sin-cursed earth to be beaten, mocked, ridiculed, stripped naked, and hung on a cross between heaven and earth so that we could throw a little bit of churchiness at him every now and then. He gave everything, and he understands the principle of sowing and reaping. God understands the law of reciprocity because he's the 
divine one who put it into order, and he gave us everything that he had, and he expects our everything in return. Do you believe that? Well, then why don't people give it? Let me get more specific. Why don't you give it? You can't get this preaching in large churches because a bunch of people won't come sit and listen to this kind of truth. They want their ears tickled and they want to be told how, how you know, everything is going to be all right. Everything is going to be all right for people who are truly saved. But I am so hurt continuously in my heart. One of the hardest things that I have to do as a pastor in the Lord's church is to look out week by week at good people, people that I love, people that I know love me, pe- people who, who are, are kind and decent and caring and compassionate people, yet not truly born again. And I know that the scariest passage in all of Scripture for everyone should be Matthew chapter 7. When Jesus said on Judgment Day, many people are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, I, I, I went to church. And he's going to say, depart from me. And they're going to say, but I sang in the choir. But I helped vacation Bible school. But I was there. And he's going to say, I never knew you. I never had an intimate relationship with you. And I want you to get more out of church than church. I want you to get Jesus. I want you to get more out of coming to church than just some cool concepts and biblical principles and friends. I I want you to get completely transformed by the power of the Holy Ghost. I want you to have a real encounter with God that changes you from the inside out. Church will change you from the outside in. People can come to church and start acting like other people. And, and they, they can even, I, here, here's the coolest thing, and, and don't stop doing it if you're one of them. But I know people who know that they're lost, who've told me that they're not really saved yet, but will say amen during the preaching. <laughs> now, see, that's cool because that's just learned behavior. That, that's just learned behavior. Now, I like when people say amen. It hurries the message along, and it lets me know that I say, see, all amen means is I agree with what you just said. That meant something to me. I caught that. I'm glad you said that. But people learn church behavior that aren't even saved. Now, church behavior won't get you into heaven. Salvation will get you into heaven. Adding Christianity, see, that, that's just making external changes. And I, I told you all Wednesday night that God isn't trying to change us as much as he's determined to transform us. See, you can change without being transformed. Uh, the, the Bible says uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone's in Christ, they become a new creature. That old things pass away and all things become new. This is not just a change. It's not a tweak on your lifestyle. It's not just add a little church, add a little Bible study, maybe quit doing a little bit of this and start doing a little bit of that. Those are all external changes. That God, God's not looking for external changes. He's looking for complete and total transformation. And I talked to you about the caterpillar. That becomes the butterfly. When, when See, the caterpillar it does exactly what that word transform in the Greek means. It, it goes through a morphe in the Greek, a metamorphosis in our English language. It goes from what it is to something completely different. It doesn't have the caterpillar that turns into a butterfly. For those of y'all that don't get that, you forgot school already. That little crawling caterpillar becomes a butterfly. It doesn't change the way it walks. 
It doesn't start hanging out with a better level of caterpillar. It, it, it doesn't go through moderate or mild or even big changes. It goes through a total morphe. It goes through a total transformation. It gives up what it is to become something totally different. It, it stops having legs and starts having wings. It grows from a crawler to a flyer. It grows from ugly to pretty. It goes from what it was to what it has become. That's what Christianity is. And this it hurts me because I know so many good people. And I see people. And I've watched people walk out one time, two times, three times, 15 times. And, I want, and, and I've, my same answer will always be my same answer. Should I keep walking? What, what should I do if I'm still not convinced I'm saved? Keep, keep seeking. Keep coming. Pray and ask God to save you again. The Bible says that you'll only find him when you search for him with your whole heart. But I'm telling you this morning by way of warning, I'm sounding an alarm for you this morning. Your goodness will not get you into heaven. Your churchiness will not get you into heaven. Your ability to know scripture, say amen at the right place and show up on time will not get you into heaven. The only way that God is going to let you into his heaven is because you have an intimate, personal, life-changing, all-obsessing love for his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus said of himself that I am the only way to the Father. And no way, nobody can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to heaven. And if you haven't been changed by the love of Jesus Christ, if you, haven't, if you haven't accepted the payment that Jesus made for your sins on Calvary, not just with your head, but with your whole being. I heard a lot of preachers say many people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. The difference between their head and their heart. And it's not so much that, that it's your prefrontal cortex versus this large uh, beating, blood pumping or organ in your chest that I'm talking about. It, it, it's, it's just knowing in, in a heady way versus knowing in your knower. See, if I ask you, do you know who Jesus is? Everybody knows who Jesus is. Jesus is the most documented human being on, on the history of this planet. More books have been written about Jesus Christ than any other person in the world. Our time is split between A, uh, B.C. and A.D. Now, they can keep changing it. The government can change it and say, well, we don't like before Christ, even though that worked for everybody up until this generation. We just want to throw. They, they didn't even do it. They, if they wanted to get away with it, they should have got away with the B.C. Uh, thing altogether. But, but B.C. now in America doesn't stand before Christ. Anybody know what it stands for? Before common era. Well, when is the common era? The birth of Jesus Christ started to come. Everybody knows who Jesus is, just like everybody knows. Uh, I, most people uh, in this country know who Abraham Lincoln is, know who George Washington is, know who Barack Obama is, know who Donald Trump is. If I ask everybody in the room, do you know who Barack Obama is, your answer would be yes. If I ask everybody in the room, do you know Barack Obama in a deep, close, abiding, all-consuming, obsessed, can't get enough. No, none of us know him like that. None of us know President Trump like that. Now, most of us don't know each other like that, but my question to you today is, do you know Jesus like that? Because when Jesus said, many will say unto me in that day, and then he lists off all these excuses, I prophesied in your name. I told people about you. I did miracles. Uh, you see, you can do everything that we do in church as an unsaved person. 
You can teach as an unsaved person. You can preach as an unsaved person. You can deke. You can play instruments. You can us. You can park cars. You can do all these different things. You can be a good person. You can be. There's lots of morally good, upright people who aren't Christian at all. Morality won't get you into heaven either. You've got to have this real deep, intimate knowledge. You've got to be like that caterpillar that goes through that transformation that becomes something different. You've got to become, as the New Testament says, a new creation. You've got to become something different than what you've been. It's not about tweaking your lifestyle and adding church to it. It's not about tweaking your lifestyle and becoming a little bit better and a little bit more in line with Scripture. It's about a total surrender that says, I can't do anything any of this stuff that this book requires me to do without God's help. I can't be the man, the woman that God wants me to be in my own strength. So as the hymn writer cried out, we've got to cry out together in sincerity, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. The problem is too many people don't really feel like they need him. And I want to tell you something. If you don't recognize that you need him, please do not try to assure yourself that you have eternal life. In heaven. Eternal life in heaven is, is, is reserved, the scripture says, only for those, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 37, that love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. If I were to ask you this morning, do you love God? Most people would say yes. Now, thank God for honest people. See, because I witness to people everywhere I go. I talk to people about Christ everywhere I go, and, you know, most people are faking it. Most people in church are faking it. The Bible says that the road to heaven is narrow and few there be that find it. I mean, that, 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 that ought to wake some people up. Now, here, here's the deal, and I talk, I talk to the staff about this a lot. If the road to heaven is narrow, because Jesus says it is, so it must be, how are so many people convinced that they're on it? If Jesus said, few there be that find it, but just almost everybody I know says, oh, yeah, I'm saved. With no real obsessed love for God, with no real tangible love for God, with no real uh, metamorphosis in their life, no real transformation in their life. But just this speech. And I told you in 2018 that God put on my heart to concentrate messages around a theme of love requires what? Love requires action. If you say that you love someone, but you have no action behind it, your confession is false. You've got to love somebody for real. The Bible says not just in words, but in actions and in truth. Jesus said that this is the first. Look, put, put verse 22 up there. After Jesus said you've got to love God with all your heart, uh, with, with, with all your soul and with all your mind, put verse 38 up there. He said this is the first and great commandment. Now, see, he's talking to Jewish people here, and Jewish people have all these rules and regulations in the Old Testament, and they've broken it down, and they had laws. They had big laws, then they had little laws, and they were so determined uh, to be legalistic in their approach to God, which is not what God is looking for, but they would put fence laws around the laws. They had laws that said you can't walk more than a half a mile on the Sabbath. So they would make sure that they didn't walk more than half of a half of a mile. They made fence laws so you didn't get close to the edge and accidentally drip over. They had a law that says you can't beat a citizen more than 40 times uh, with a whip. So they put a fence law up there and only beat them 39 times in case they missed count. I'm like, you can't count to 40? 
But they had all these laws, and so Jesus was telling them, and, and the man came and asked Jesus, you know, what's the big deal? What's, what's the heavy hitter? What, what's the main thing here? And he said, the main thing, the big thing, the heavy hitter is loving God with everything that you have. And if you don't really love God with everything that you have, then you are not what the Bible declares as a Christian. You may mark Christian on your uh, health care application. You might mark Christian. You know, you go in to, for a major surgery. They want to come down, and they want to ask you what your religious preference is. And, and I mess with them on that a lot but because I, I said, well, we'd have to talk about it a little bit. But, I mean, what do you mean by religious preference? What, what, what I mean, is this for, like, people who are totally crazy in love with Jesus? Or, I mean, what, what if I kind of, you know, half, half Islam and, half, and try to get where they're at? I'm like, you're going to ask me my religion. I want to ask you yours. But... Jesus said, loving God with everything you have is the first and great commandment. We talk a lot about hermeneutics at Abundant Life because we're a Bible teaching church. And hermeneutics is the art and science of properly interpreting written word, specifically the scripture. And there are principles, there are keys, there, there are things that will enable you to decipher scripture and understand it. So it's not just reading a bunch of old words that fly over your head. It's about getting it on the inside. And one of the principles that we've learned through our hermeneutic study is the law of priority listening. The law of priority listening. Now, if you look on the back of a bag of jelly beans, what's the first ingredient listed? Sugar. Why? Because it's the dominant ingredient. The, the manufacturers that do the food, the people that put the food labels out, they follow the law of priority listing. If you look on the back of almost any cleaning product in the world, you know what the first ingredient is? Water. Very good. Water. Most people didn't know that. Water is the number one cleaner in the whole world, and that's on the back of almost every cleaning product you have in your home or on a shelf. Why? Because it's the dominant ingredient. And Scripture, when it has lists, almost always, say not always, almost always follows the law of priority listing. I'll give you the same example you've heard before. And it, it, you, it's something that you can easily check out. In the Gospels, there are many times where they list all 12 disciples. Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, his brother, John, Philip, Thomas, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, Judas, and Bartholomew. The 12 disciples are listed by as 12 repeatedly in the Gospels. And every single time that they're listed, the first four are always the first four. And the last four are always the last four. And it, but, it, but here's the cool thing. The middle four switch around. Why do they switch around? Because at the place in life where they were listed at that part in the story of the ministry of Jesus Christ, some of the middle four were rising in activity and falling in activity. But the first four, always the first four. Last four, always the last four. So Jesus follows this law of priority listing when they ask him about the big hitter commandment. The big hitter commandment is, put verse 37 back on the screen for me, Deacon. The big hitter commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. I don't want you to answer out loud. I just want you to think right now. In your most honest opinion of self, in your truthful state, looking inward at your, at your own life, would you even say of you that you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind? See, there's no room for reservation there. There's no room for other there. 
There's no room for yes, but there. There's no room for this and there. there there's no room for either or there. It's, it's a definitive thing. You see, here's where today's PC crowd misses it. Today's PC crowd demands inclusion. Today's PC crowd looks for tolerance. We, we've, we've conflated tolerance and an open mind with being virtuous. But tolerance and an open mind are not necessarily virtuous unto themselves. If I were to ask you, sir, what is your name? Now, I know his name is Chris White, but let's play on. Sir, what is your name? Are you sure? Because you look like a Fred. I just don't really feel like, to me, my truth. Anytime you hear my truth, warning bells ought to go off in your head and know. They, 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 are, they are conflating truth with opinion. Anytime you hear someone say, well, my truth, they, they are trying to own something that, they, that is not theirs to own. It, it'll be like you, if you say, well, what's the speed limit on I-10 between uh, Baldwin and McClinney? Anybody know? 70 miles an hour. Well, what if in your world it should be 90? Well, my truth is the speed limit's 95. Well, your truth's going to get you a ticket because it's not your truth. It's a lie that you, you, you're just trying to make yourself feel better by saying my, all these people saying live your truth. What that's saying is throw out anything that's real and just grab whatever foolishness you want to grab hold of and, and, and try to say that you have to respect my truth. Just Try that on a cop. Get pulled over doing 95 in a school zone. 15 mile an hour flashing light. And, and when he says, uh, is there any reason why you're speeding? You're doing 95 miles an hour in a speed zone? It's like, because... According to my truth, the speed limit's 105, so I was actually going slow. I slowed down for the school zone. Try that with him. Try to let him know what your truth is. No, the speed limit is what the speed limit is. Your view of it means nothing. You obey it or you don't. And it's just like this man's name. We get back to that. Well, what if to me it makes me feel uncomfortable to call you Chris because I knew a Chris that hurt me one time. So I, I, think it's, I think it's unfair of you to ask me to call you Chris. I don't like that either. I really, I can't feel good. I can't sleep. I'm going to be triggered if you don't let me call you Fred. And how can you be so narrow-minded about your name? Why, why can't you just open, why can't you be more tolerant of me wanting to call you? Because tolerance and open-mindedness are not necessarily virtuous. When they're wrong. His name is Chris. It's on his driver's license. It was on his police badge, his last name at least. That's it. Are you open-minded about what your name is? Now, you may be, you know, free-spirited and open-minded. You may be, you know, just very casual and, and, and be like, hey, I don't care what you call me. You call me Chris, Mr. C., Brother Chris, Brother White, you call me homeboy, bruh, uh, just don't call me late for dinner. You call me yo, you call me man, woman, upside down, monkey, goose, egg, whatever. Yeah, I mean, but it doesn't change what the truth is. Open-mindedness inside truth is not a virtue. It's a deception. Tolerance compared to truthfulness is not virtuous. It's destructive. It'll lead you in the wrong way. If your GPS says, in 2.5 miles, turn left on exit 25B. And you're like, 
That just triggers me altogether. I don't like being told to turn left on interstate exits. I've always been taught interstate exits should go to the right. And my truth is interstate exits go to the right. Well, your truth, which is not true, it's your falsehood, is going to get you lost. And many people think they can bring their truth against the Bible. Many people think they can bring their opinion against the Scripture. Many people think that they can apply their truth and their politically correct mindset that will enable them to get into heaven. Well, here's the reality. If there is a heaven, if there is a God who has a heaven that wrote this book, he's the one that decides how you get in, not your truth. Are you following that? And he said clearly the way you get in is only through his son, Jesus Christ. So here's the, here's the deal. If Jesus was alive and on the planet right now talking in, in, like he did 2,000 years ago, preaching like he did 2,000 years ago, and he'd say the same thing now. For all, for all the people who would say, well, times change. Well, God declared of himself that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has declared of himself, I am the Lord God. I change not. See, that, that, that's one of the divine attributes of God, his immutability, which means not only does he not change, he can't change. Because if he could change, he would have to cease being here and go to here, or he would have to be here and go to there. He would have to change in, in, in where he is. And that would either make him less or make him more. And if he could become less, he wouldn't be God. And if he could become more, he wouldn't be God. So God never changes. So what would Jesus do if he was here today? He'd do the same thing he did then because he never changes. And what did he say then? I'm the only way to get to God. Well, the, is, is that tolerant? Is that open-minded? Is that inclusive? Is that everybody that just wants to flip in on it? You know, just, you know, give about 5% of, of your heart to God? No, all your heart to God. What, what, if, what if Jesus said, and he did, I am the only way to have eternal life. Anybody who tries to mention another way is a thief and a liar. Well, does that sound open-minded, tolerant, and inclusive to you? No, that is, in today's standard, that's narrow-minded. But if he keeps telling me his name is Chris, and I keep saying, but I think it's Fred, he's right and I'm wrong. He's not being intolerant. He's being truthful. I'm not holding on to my truth. I'm just choosing to be ignorant of reality. I can walk away saying, well, you believe that. You believe what you want to believe. I'll believe what I want to believe. You don't get the choice on believing it. That's like you telling your GPS system when it says in two and a half miles, uh, turn left on exit 24B, and you're like, well, you keep saying that. You believe that's the best way to get to Charlotte? I, I believe this. Okay, go ahead. Keep doing your thing and find out. Truth will get you to a place that nothing else will get you to. And hear me good. Truth is not inclusive. Truth is not tolerant. Truth is not open-minded. Now, in life, should we be? Yes, very much so. We should be, be very much tolerant people. We, we should be very much inclusive people. We should be very much open-minded people, but not in regard to differing from what Jesus said. That's, I mean, that just doesn't work. That's like if my kids, if I tell my kids, bedtime is 930. Well, Dad, I, I just don't think it should be. Well, I really don't care. It's my house. I'm in charge. And if you believe that there is a God and there is a heaven, isn't it reasonable that he gets to set the rules? 
or should we wait thousands of years into the existence of humankind and say, you know what, because now we're evolved, because now we have my truth, because now we're all open-minded and tolerant, progressive, that, that we're just going to tell God how he should and shouldn't let people into his home? That makes no sense at all. He's given a way in. He, he told us what the first primary thing about his entire religion is in the law of priority listening when Jesus told them that the big thing is everything. you got to love God with everything. Jesus went on to say that if you love anything more than me, you're not worthy to even call yourself my disciple. Man, if I had my, my love-o-meter and I could just hang it on necks and get it ready, get it ready. I start with Karen, I just hang it on her neck and move to you. I hung my love-o-meter on your neck and you got God over here and anything else over here. And it, where, 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 where would the love-o-meter, family, uh, career, money, material things, God, where, where would it go? Because if it didn't go there, big wrong. Big wrong. You say, well, we, isn't there room to love everything? Not, not, not inside Christianity. There's room to love everyone, but not the same. It, it, it's just like if, if you talk to Elder Jimmy about baseball. He loves baseball almost as much as I do. He loves baseball, uh, and, but he loves the Cubs way more than I do. I really don't care. Uh, I, I, I don't, I, 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 I'd love it if you just pronounce Schwarber wrong for him. I, I, I just make names up for Cubs and, 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 and just talk about how, what a bum Ernie Banks was. I mean, it none of that bothers me. But don't talk about Dale Murphy. So y'all don't know who Dale Murphy is. Tell them who Dale Murphy is. Dale Murphy is a right fielder for the Braves in the 70s. That's not where he made his money. Um. Now, see, now here's the thing. He knows a lot about baseball, but he don't know a lot about Atlanta Braves baseball. He knows a lot about Chicago Cubs baseball because he loves the Cubs. And he'll talk to the Cubs, and, and here's the thing. If you try to get him to say, well, you know, I, I just think the Cubs, they're a poorly run organization, got a horrible farm system. I mean, I think even people that sit up in booths and write for them and have, have, have jobs with it, I mean, they're just no good. They, I mean, it's just, you're, you're going to get under his skin at that point. Now, he needs to tolerate your, your he, he tolerates my love of the Atlanta Braves. And, and, and personally, I believe, you know, that Atlanta's a better run organization. I believe they got a better farm system. Um, I, I believe they, both teams have great young talent. Uh, and I don't believe either one of them is ready to beat any of those monsters in the American League right now. That's just what I believe. Uh, but so there's a tolerance in those type of subjective qualities. There's an acceptance. I can accept Deacon West, one of my dearest friends in life. Uh, been hanging out together. Our, our kids grew up together, spent many nights at each other's home. Uh, I, he does something that I disagree with to every fabric of my body. How do you live in North Florida and be a college football fan of any team other than the one that's closest to us? But he's over there tomahawk chopping. I despise Florida State. I don't like Florida State at all. And I will remind you, it's a girls' college. <laughs> it started off as a girls' college. They elected a man as their homecoming queen. 
Okay, I got some real stats I can give you uh, uh, about uh, Florida State. Y- y'all know if you're in Jacksonville how you find Florida State, or, or, or if you're in uh, Orange Park how you find Florida State. Go north till you smell it, go west till you step in it. I mean, I can tell you a lot of things about Florida State that Florida State fans won't like. But I accept the fact that Deegan West, in his misguided affection, Loves, he loves the Seminoles. He loves to talk to me about the Seminoles. And he knows I'm a Gator fan. How you going, I mean, but it, so is there open-mindedness in Christianity? Of course there is. It, when it comes to Gators versus Seminoles. Is there tolerance in Christianity? Of course there is. When it comes to Braves fans and Cubs fans. Is there tolerance in Christianity? There very much should be. I don't see it. But there very much should be when it comes to uh, Democrats and Republicans. Independents, left, right, middle. I already told y'all, it's all like wrestling to me. Professional wrestlers, they got faces and heels. Good guys and bad guys. They got rivals. But all those guys ride the same cars together and go eat in the same restaurants and drink the same liquor together after it's over. Should there be tolerance in in political parties inside Christianity? Absolutely. Should there be open-mindedness? Absolutely. People aren't going to think the same thing about everything. People aren't going to accept the the same uh, ideas about everything. Your background, where you grew up, your your thought process is going to play a role in all that. I'm a Florida Gator fan, and it makes sense because I grew up on the west side of Jacksonville. (laughs) It's a long way to Tallahassee, man. I mean, if I had to walk, I would not enjoy it. But I could walk to Gainesville before I died. I'd have to take some water and some money. I'd catch a bus when nobody was watching. But I couldn't walk to Tallahassee. I'd just give up and wouldn't want to. But you can have opinions like that and still have love and acceptance. You can have, see, that's what makes this church difficult because we're not a Baptist church. We're not a charismatic church. We're not a church of God, church of God in Christ, church of God by the side of the road, church of God in faith, church of God by the river on Sunday morning in Jesus' name incorporated. We're not Methodist. We're not Presbyterian. We're not Episcopalian. We're not high church. We're not low church. We're not a white church. We're not a black church. We're not a Hispanic church. We're not a tongue-talking church. We're not a non-tongue-talking church. We're not a signs and wonders church, but we believe in signs and wonders, and we are a signs and wonders church. I mean, so we've got all this nondescript going on, and that's not what people in this generation want. Now, some people are just weird. I mean, the kind of people that go to steak and ale and order fish. <laughs> what are you thinking? The kind of people that go to Clark's Fish Camp and order steak. Do you know how long that steak's been sitting back there waiting on somebody to mention his name? There are some weird people. But when people go to a fish camp to eat, they want seafood. People go to a steakhouse, most of them want steak. And we have become very pigeonholed as Americans. We try to pigeonhole everybody and isolate everybody, and, and that's, that's fell over into the church. So now you have all white churches, all black churches, churches where everybody's rich, church where everybody's poor, church where everybody speaks English, church where everybody speaks a different language. You, you have all, if we hung up a sign, if we picked one, it would make it much easier on our leadership. If we just picked one, if we just threw a dove and a rainbow, well, the rainbow's been, been, 
the rainbow, you, you dove in the rainbow used to symbolize uh, extreme charismatic movement. We just throw the dove up in and, 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 and the sky. But people would come out by the, by, they'd fly. If we just put Abundant Life Baptist Church on the sign, people ride by that and see Baptist, we got to check that out because we're Baptist. Abundant Life Methodist Church. Well, we got to check that out. And, and, and people want what they want. Here's what makes it difficult here. Because culture plays a difference in the way you see things, the way you view things, the way you accept things. That's where the tolerance has to be. That's where the inclusion, the acceptance has to be. Because song service, length of service, style of service, style of preaching. See, if, if, if so, some people come out of an Episcopalian background, Greatest example of that is Z. James Kennedy. Today, in the Gospel of Mark, we shall examine the five virtues of God's heart. As received by the ancients. People sit through that boredom all day long. And if you got a bunch of old rich white people, they would lap that up. They would sit there with paper and pen in hand. They would take notes and they would say, he's so profound and dignified. But style, tolerance. People don't have it. That's why a lot of people won't go to a church that doesn't give them exactly everything that they want. People want to go to a church that says exactly what they want to hear and teaches exactly what they want it to say. That's like letting kindergartners pick the menu. Every day, gummy bears. You're the president of kindergarten. We just voted you. You run the platform on gummy bears. Boom. So you got that. You, you, you got another style and Ain't the Lord all right? Ain't the Lord all right? I saw the Lord, he heard my cry, sent his son Jesus to live and die. And people, and people line up about a million. Not just for that, but for a style like that. And three and a half hour service, 11 to 2.30. Leave before that. Well, I felt like we got ripped off. And go look for another church to be. I, I got to find a church still going. When I first got saved, I, I would leave the church I was at, and I would go to the church on Old Middleburg Road at the, at the hump, at the bottom of the hump, and because they never got out before 3 o'clock. And I just wanted more church. Styles, be tolerant of that. Differences of opinion, accepting of that. People disagreeing with the revealed written word of God, there's no room for open-mindedness in that. No more so is there any room for open-mindedness in what your name is. You don't have to be open-minded about what your name is because you know that there is one definitive thing that your name is. And so it's not closed-minded when you know the truth and you can't have your truth of this book, because this book says the scriptures of no private interpretation. It can't mean one thing to you and a different thing to me. You can be right about it and I can be wrong about it. 
depending on who lines up with what it really says. And people disagree on that. And that's why it's important to study the scripture, not just have preformed ideas about the scripture. It's interesting to me when people want to argue and debate scripture. They've given their life to study uh, whatever, physics. They've given their life to study that. I would never debate one of those dudes about physics. 35 years in it, multiple degrees in it. I've looked at, you know, that much. And I'm like, oh, I think you're wrong there. <laughs> Just don't think you really got it right there, Dr. Sheldon Cooper. I think you're. <laughs> you and your eidetic memory, I'm telling you, it's, it's supposed to be like. But people will come and have this much time in the Bible. Never even read the whole Bible. And want to say, nope. I don't believe that's what it means. Preacher, I think you're wrong. I think this is what it means. Well, that might be what it means to you, but this way, it can't mean one thing to you and something else to me. That's like me saying that it, his name to me is Fred, but to him is Chris. Somebody's right, somebody's wrong. And Jesus said, real Christianity is about loving God with everything that you have. And the Bible is replete with passages that say anything less will result in you not spending eternity in heaven. It's a real subject. It's something you need to get your mind around. It's something you need to get right. See, here's the reality. There, there, there's probably five people in the whole room that, that, that know what Deacon Henry West's government name is. Okay? If you told, if you, I mean, I'm not going to tell them, bro. Uh, if you were to bet your entire eternity on his name, his full name being Henry West, you're missing a piece. And you wouldn't make it. There are too many people willing to bet eternity on such limited information when they really haven't given the gospel even a full, dedicated examination. And I was telling Jake the other day, every single person that was honest that ever did any type of significant, in-depth study of Christianity of this book came to the same conclusion. This is real, and this is what this this is the way to God. You say, "Well, I've studied it, and I didn't come to that conclusion." Well, I'd like to hear how much you've really studied it. Taking glances at things is is, is not really studying. But a Christian, for a quick definition, someone who's devoted themselves to the teachings of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, "We got to love God more than we love anything else." Listen to something else Jesus said in Luke 6.46. He said, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I'll give you another hermeneutical principle, another key to understanding Scripture. Whenever you see a double enunciation, someone says a name twice, it, it indicates closeness or perceived closeness. If uh, every, everybody calls Deacon Dixon, Deacon Dixon, or Cedric said... Uh, Sergeant Major, but Sonia calls him uh, Sweetie Pie, Sugar Bear, Big Daddy, uh, Pet Name, then that, that indicates a closeness. And in Scripture, when you see a double enunciation of a name, it's like, it, it's not, you, you don't really want to say a pet name for the Lord because that, that sounds diminutive. But you, it, when it says, Jesus said, why are you calling me Lord? You're calling me out of your mouth like you really know me. 
You're calling me like, like we, we're somewhere we're not. You, you're calling me a honey bear, and, and uh, you, you, we're not on that level. He said, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord? Why do you keep saying that, that you, you, you're okay with me when you don't do what I say? Now, see, that'd be like your child saying, well, I'll use mine because you get mad if I use yours. That'd be like Jake saying, I love you, Dad. I say, well, I love you too, son. Go take out the trash. No, I ain't going to do that. That wouldn't happen in my house. He's too aggressive for all that. Um, But if someone declares love for you, but they don't do anything that you ask them to do, that's not real love. Because real love, here's the thing about love. You have to love the person you say you love the way they receive love. See, if you might, you might, if you get married, you know, if if if, if Chris is trying to have the best marriage he can with his wife Evelyn, and and she she wants hugs and he don't give her hugs, if if she she needs needs hugs and everybody needs hugs, but if she needs hugs more than he does, and he's like, Nah, I ain't giving you hugs, woman. wasn't raised that way. That ain't who I am. It's not my thing. If he really loves her, he'll love her the way she needs to be loved. You give to a person you care about what they want you to give to them. Even if, you, even if it goes against some of your raising or, or some of your comfort zone. See, because there's some stuff in Christianity that's going to go against some of your raising and some of your comfort zone. I'll give you two of them real quick. If I walk up to you and spit in your face and cuss you out before you leave here today, well, for some of y'all, that's going to go against your raising. I recommend you start with Big Jimmy in the back. Long hair, beard, sits in the back row. Because, like me, he ain't all the way delivered yet. You spit in his face, cuss him, his wife, and his gorgeous daughter out, he's either going to have to go against his raising, which is if you aggress me, I'm going to aggress you back. If you hit me hard, I'm going to hit you harder. If, 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 if you mess with the bull, you'll get the what? That's his raising. I know him. Now, as a Christian, Christianity, the truth of God's word, goes against some of his raising. Because the Bible says if, if you walk up and slap him on his face, he's supposed to do what? Come on, y'all. <laughs> you really think it's going down like that? I already told you he ain't all the way delivered, don't you? You know, start start with Elder Jimmy. Start with Mr. C. He's a retired cop. He's been hit before and didn't hit back. I mean, you know, start, start, with, start with somebody who, who's got a little bit more self-control. Uh, don't start with me. Don't start with Jimmy in the back. Uh, you know, but, because that forces us to go against our raising. But if we want to honor God, it ain't about your raising. It's about doing what God says because you love him more than you love yourself. It, 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 it's going to go against your culture. Well, what do you mean, Pastor, go against my culture? Well, you know, when church is past the bucket, that makes some people mad and it makes other people glad. Because the Bible says give cheerfully knowing that God gives to those who give to him. So some people see it as a great investment strategy and can't wait to give. And some people see it as an opportunity to take the blessings that they've been given and give God back a portion. And other people are like, I'm barely making it on my own. Talking about me giving money to, to you. I'm not trying to do that. My mama told me I got to look out for me. 
I got to take care of her number one. I, I, I got to grab all the gusto I can get. She'll be trying to go in the bucket and make change. <laughs> change from an empty hand to a full hand. We got cameras. You go to prison. Jesus said in a rhetorical question, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? A rhetorical question, obviously. It's a question where the answer is already implied. It's axiomatic. It's evident. You ought to understand. That's like when your mama says, do you want me to slap your teeth out of your mouth? Yes, ma'am. Twice. <laughs> he said, why do you keep calling me, Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Well, what, 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 what is the, the evident truth that he's hoping people get? Talking about it and doing it is two different things. You can say you love somebody, but do you really love them? Love requires what? In John 4, 23, Jesus is talking to a woman at the well, and he says, But the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. It's funny because they've got Bibles out now that have taken the word him out and they want to pay proper attention to the pronoun and they want to make God asexual. They've got Bibles written by feminists who want to take misogyny out and have replaced him with hers. And one of the greatest perpetrators of this is your buddy Oprah. Oprah, who said repeatedly on her show that Jesus Christ cannot possibly be the only way to heaven which makes her a disagreer with Christianity, which, which, which makes her offensive to every real Christian, but she promoted that God could just as easily be a woman as God could be a man. If God could just as easily be a woman as he could be a man, then why did Jesus say, pray our Father? Why does the Bible repeatedly refer to God as Father and Him? Why does the God... Uh, now, but here's what I want you to understand. So I'm, I'm going to let some of y'all feminazis off the hook, and I, I'm going to let, 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 let some of y'all non-patriarchal people off the hook because God is a spirit. God is beyond male and female. I mean, how tall would God be if the earth is his footstool? Okay, so the earth, the footstool has to, by nature, be smaller than you are. Uh, how tall would God be? How many ears would God have if the ears of the Lord are open to the cry of the righteous? How long would his arm be? Now they've done a, they've done a, a, a test in the NBA and they found they, they measure wingspan when they're recruiting people or when they're looking at people to bring in and the typical wingspan of somebody from fingertip to fingertip is the same as their height. NBA players want longer wingspans than typical wingspans. So the average NBA wingspan is between three and four inches taller than their height. And that, that, that's in the acceptable range. The exceptional range of people like Rick Barry, uh, Kevin Garnett, uh, Dikembe Mutombo, uh, Durant, the exceptional wingspan is seven inches bigger or longer. Okay, so if, you're, if your wingspan, so if you're six foot tall and you got a six foot seven wingspan, you can scratch your knee without bending over. Makes you look funny standing up, but it makes you look valuable to a coach. Ain't I right, Coach Green? 
You, you'd like to have some, bas- some six-foot-five basketball players that could touch their kneecap standing straight up because that's, that's beneficial in basketball. But if, if, So arm length. The Bible says the arm of the Lord is not short that it cannot save, but reaches to all who call on him. Well, how long must his arm be if he can reach that far? What we got to understand is these words, these words are, are not so much gender specific or size specific. The, these words are what, what theologians call anthropomorphisms or anthropomorphic terms. Many times in the Bible, God used natural terminology to explain to human thinking a bigger than human, non-understandable, supernatural all being God. So the scripture says in other places that God not only is a spirit, but he doesn't have flesh and bones. If he doesn't have flesh and bones, how can he have an arm? Well, arm is, is anthropomorphic. It's just to let you know he can reach out and grab you. How many ears does he have? Well, he doesn't have flesh and bones. But God wants us to understand that he can hear us. So he ascribed some terminology. Much of the Bible is written in tropes, types, metaphors, similes, uh, comparative language and so when you think about God if God were going to be a man or a woman which would he be y'all scared to say it there no PC police in here I'm in charge of all the security in here if God were going to be a man or a woman which one if God would chose to reveal himself as a man or a woman which one would he chose to reveal himself as okay but is God bigger than a man Okay, now here, now y'all got, y'all, most of y'all got that right. Some, uh, the, the feminists in the room like, I ain't never coming back here. My God's a woman. My truth says that God is a woman. Where does the Bible say that? Some just fell under the stage. God didn't like that. Some of y'all got that right. Let's see if you get the next one right. If God were to reveal himself, as a human being, would he be white or black? <laughs> Rich or poor? Republican or Democrat? Left wing, right wing? Some of y'all are getting on the right track. Now think change, say change. Don't say neither again. Would he be open-minded or dogmatic in his belief he would be dogmatic because he knows that he knows what he knows it's not open for discussion just like I know what my name is and he knows what his name is the scripture says that God is a spirit so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth put the previous verse on there for me deep verse 23 the time is coming indeed is here now when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth look at the last sentence and always remember, read the Bible. When you read the Bible, pay attention to the punctuation. Don't just gloss over it. Pay attention to the punctuation in any literature. It'll help you understand it. it it'll help. It'll. It'll help you get it on the inside. You got to take it phrase by phrase, bite by bite, so you can digest what's being said. And in this last sentence, Jesus tells this woman, "The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way." God is looking for something. Based on the scripture, can you tell me what God is looking for? Worshippers who worship him 
that way. Who worship him what way? In spirit and in truth. Truth is definitive. The speed limit on I-10 between Baldwin and McClenny is 70 miles an hour. There's no my truth, your truth to that. It just is what it is. His name is Chris White. There's, it just is what it is. And the truth of how God receives worship is what it is. And that's why we've got 1,189 chapters to examine because the Scripture tells us the things that we need to know to do what it commands us to do. So God's looking for worshipers. Here's my question to you, and I'm almost done. Don't fade out yet. How do you worship God? Don't say it out loud. How, if I went person by person, if I started with Brother David and I said, I just want you to tell us, how do you worship? And on my if I say, how do you brush your teeth, you know. You know. Now, I, I took a speech class where everybody failed the, 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 the little impromptu point he was trying to make. He said he had everybody in the whole class stand up and say, tell me exactly, starting from beginning to end, how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And as soon as he started front row, stop, next. Nobody got past the first few words, stop, next, stop, next. And people started adding stuff to it. People say, well, you take out the peanut butter and jelly. No. Take it out from where? That's, 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 uh, that's a horrible way to, to frame this, this, this argument. Next. Well, you, you go to the pantry, and you take out the peanut butter and jelly. Did you open the door? Stop. Next. And so he just he, he kept boxing it in to the point where people finally started saying, you go to the grocery store. Stop. How would you get to the grocery store? You get in your car, stop next. Uh, did you just transport to your car? So he was trying to teach the exactness of speech. And nobody got it because he wanted to go all the way back to agriculture or farming, the peanut, production of the peanut, butter, the bottling, the trucking, the transportation, the logistics. He said, you can't make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich without all that. And we all realized it's time to transfer. I'm, I'm, I'm getting out of this class. <laughs> Dealing with this lunatic. God is looking for something very specific. And I say, how do you worship God? If I ask you to tell me exactly how you worship God. Now, some of y'all have been around long enough, and you know what the primary answer you would get because it's a cop-out answer because it's an answer for people that don't have an answer and I want you to think right now don't say anything out loud I want you to think if the microphone came to you and the question was how do you worship God what would you say now see most people that don't have a solid scriptural answer would be honest and say I know I don't have what you're looking for, so I'm just going to pass. Let somebody else, you know, you go ahead and harass somebody else about their answer. <laughs> or they say, I don't know. But the primary answer, because I've been asking this question since for 37 years since I started preaching. I've been asking this question all around the world for 37 years. Because when I got saved, I realized that the primary thing God wanted was us to love him and to worship him with everything that we have. 
So worship has become, I, I, I had to study and find out, okay, what is his idea of worship? What is his idea of how I love him? Because you got to give love to somebody the way they receive it. If, if, if Chris t- never tells Evelyn he loves her, and she's like, I just wish you'd tell me I love you more. And he said, I told you I love you when we got married. Well, that's not enough. He has to adjust to what the person he claims to love wants. So if we say we love God, we've got to give that love to God in a way that he accepts it. So when I say, how do you worship God? The number one answer I've gotten by far, and it's not even close consistently how do you worship God what is it that you personally do to worship God and people have told me repeatedly what they worship God in their heart how do you worship God well I worship God in my heart it's a private matter between me and the Lord and it's personal and it's internal you don't understand speech you, 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 don't, you don't understand the word, you don't understand the question, and you don't understand the God who expects it to be given to him. Because worship is a verb. And it's not something to be done in your heart. Although it can be personal and internal, but it's a verb. Brother David loves to fish. Now, if you say you love to fish to me, I'm going to take you at your word. If you say you love to fish to this man, who fishes all the time and catches massive fish and takes people with him and catches massive fish and massive fish and knows fishing holes to go, uh, you might get some questions. <laughs> See, if I told Brother David, if I, if I showed me all those pictures, I'm like, oh, fishing, man? Yeah, I'm fishing. What? I, I'm about it. It's my passion. I love fishing. And he's like, oh, well, do you like to go freshwater or saltwater fishing? And I said, oh, you mean like with rods and reels and bait and touching? Oh, no, I, 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 I fish in my heart. You know I need medication. Deacon West, always, always working on that body, always working out, always on that grind, going to the gym. Was that your son said that? His son said a little bit. Smack him around when you get home. If you came up and heard me and Deegan West talking about boxing and, and our mutual love for boxing, and, and he's doing a lot of boxing right now in the gym, and I've done a lot of boxing in the gym, and, and, and you were like, oh, working out. Well, work, y'all, y'all work out, working out. Now, you can look at me. No, I don't work out. I, I work in, <laughs> eating. And, but if, if I came up to him and I'm like, oh, working out, that's my thing. The gym, what? The gym, yes. And he's like, oh, really? I didn't know you liked to work out past that. You know, your body was kind of throwing me off there for a minute. <laughs> and he said, do you like to work out? What, do you like to do cardio? Uh, yeah, you can look at me and tell. Uh, you like to do aerobics? You like free weights? Uh, you like, like uh, stacking, stacking plates and lifting weights? And I was like, oh, you mean like, like going somewhere that smells bad and actually touching, sweating? No, I don't do, I don't do all that. I work out in my heart. You would know, you you would know, we don't just have a different opinion. You would know that somebody's nuts. You would know somebody's crazy. You would know somebody's not telling the truth. Because if I don't like fishing poles and touching slimy things, 
and actually getting out in the sun and waiting on a fish to bite a hook, then if I tell you I love fishing and I fish in my heart, I'm not being truthful. And if I've deceived myself to believe that I fish in my heart, then I need therapy. People say they, they worship God in their heart. And that's not typically true. That's, that's the typical answer of people who really don't know what worship is. So let's hear what worship is and we'll get out of here. The Old Testament was originally written primarily in what language? Hebrew. The New Testament was primarily written in what language? Greek. Most of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Most of the New Testament is written in Greek with some exception verses. Uh, but these words have been translated into English and modern English. And so sometimes translation is like when I preach with an interpreter and I'll say something very colloquial like, what's up? Or, uh, boy, they broke down like four flat tires on a Lexus. And then, come on, say, D, say, I, I, I don't know why Hispanic people, I, it's like, I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> and they just have to try to put words out there that make close to sense as possible. Okay. So we've got some English words that we can get better, more defined explanation of these words by looking at the original. Now, the Old Testament primary word used in the Old Testament, primary Hebrew word used in the Old Testament for our English word worship is shakah. Shakah. And it means to bow down. So if I say, how do you worship God? I'm looking for two words. First, first, first word starts with bow, and second word starts with down. If I say, how do you worship, and you wanted to give me two words that would be appropriate, what would they be? Bow down. When do you bow down to the Lord? When do you bow down in his presence? When, and see, this is where Americans and Western civilized people in general have been penalized in regard to real worship because we are birthed in rebellion. We're birthed in independence. We, 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 we promote our independence, which causes us to pretend we don't need God or oversight because I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. I'm self-made. I pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I, 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 I operate by my own set of standards. That penalizes us where Eastern culture has been taught to bow down. They've been taught to put their forehead on the ground, do obeisance. Most Americans don't even know what obeisance is. That is the most used. If you look in any Hebrew dictionary, you'll find out the most readily used word to define shakal from Hebrew to English is obeisance. But most people don't know what it, We don't do obeisance in America. One of the other primary English words used is genuflect. We don't genuflect in America. These are European customs. These are Middle Eastern customs. These are Eastern religious customs. These are Hebraic customs. When do you just bow in God's presence and stay bowed? If you don't, then you're, you're, you're not really doing a biblical form of worship because real worship is about bowing down in the presence of God and staying there. In America, we're too proud to do that. And that's why so many people don't pray the way they should. And this is why statistically women pray more than men. Because women, not all but some, I would say most in my opinion, 
This is something we could differ on, but I've got the statistics. Mostly women have been used to asking for help. And mostly men are too proud and arrogant to even ask for directions when they're lost and they know they're lost. Baby, why don't you pull over and ask this man? Uh, he might live here. I know where I'm going. <laughs> Putting together some 700-piece piece of furniture from Ikea. Hey, baby, here's this. I don't need instructions. I'm a grown man. Here's my tools. I don't need instructions. Why do I need instructions? Well, I got nine pieces left over. You sure you put that together right? They always put extra pieces in there. We don't need that. Supposed to lean to the left. It's it's it, you know it's it's, it's trendy. <laughs> That's funny. Y'all didn't get it. <laughs> Men typically don't like asking for help, and that's why they don't pray as much as women do. A lot of women in this generation don't feel like they need help, and that will hinder prayer. Western civilized, independent spirit, hateful hatred of authority will cause us to not be able to give God the love and the worship that he wants because it's not natural for most Western civilized people to bow down and stay bowed. It's very natural in, in, in other parts of the world. It's just not natural here. But I told you that if you're going to do what God wants you to do, some of that is going to have to come at the price of your culture, your experience, and your level of ease. So that's the primary word in the Old Testament for worship, to cause, to bow down and stay there. Just bow in his presence. You make yourself small to recognize he's large. You bow in his presence at his greatness. Americans don't like that, but it is what it is. You either do what you're told to do. You can't make it up. Well, I give him worship my way. That's, that's, that's defunct. That's, that's deficient. It's not, it's not accurate. It doesn't, it doesn't translate. In the New Testament, two primary Greek words, and I want you to hear these. Some of you heard them before, but I want you to get this, and we'll go. Now, I'm going to leave off the rest of that. The, num, the, the, the first primary word in the New Testament for what it means, meant to the Greeks to worship God, and this is the primary rule of interpreting all Scripture. You first have to understand it was written as, as it was written to whom it was written. This book, this New Testament was written 2,000 years ago to a bunch of people that were alive 2,000 years ago. And we have to understand what it meant to them. And so Greek was the dominant language in this region, and the, the word that they used, they didn't use the word worship, the English word worship, because they didn't know that word. They used the Greek word proskuneo. Proskuneo. And that word means to lay at your master's feet like a dog and lick his hand. Now, some of you dog people, you got dogs like that. I had a beagle like that. If I was, if I sit, was sitting in the chair, the beagle would move and come over and sit in the chair. If I laid down on the couch, the beagle would lay down on the couch, and I would just lay my hand down, and he would nose my hand. Anybody got dogs? You know what I'm talking about? The rest of y'all asleep? I got it. <laughs> the Greeks would draw these pictures with their words. And the word that they chose for worship was a picture of a dog laying at its master's feet, licking the master's hand. Why? Because the dog just wants to be where the dog's master is. Because the dog loves the, its owner. Because the dog realizes, if I'm going to be fed, it's going to come from that hand I'm licking. If I'm going to be loved on, touched, petted, or groomed, it's going to come from that hand that I'm licking. If I'm going to be protected, cared for, housed, and shown any type of affection, it's going to come from the hand of this person that I'm licking. So I want to be close 
as I can be. Now, some of y'all have dogs that don't do that. Trade that in on a cat. Cat people, cat don't worship. Cats, cats do their own thing. You're like, I have a cat that lays in my lap. Uh, like, okay, well, then you have a cat that acts like a dog. A cat and a dog show love in different ways. God says he wants love shown to him the way a dog shows the master dog he loves. When God moves, God's people move. When, when, God, when, when God does something, God's people go along with it. When they, they don't argue with it. You, you, never, you never had a dog um, just tell you to pet him a different way. They might like it a different way. They might like being scratched behind the ears. You might not know someone's dog, and you want to you want to scratch it on its back, and they want to be scratched behind. It. You don't know that, but if the if the owner will only scratch it on its back, the dog will accept whatever we're given to him. The dog by the master. This is a picture. It's a word picture of worship. It it is it is staying close to the hand of the feeder. See, if you understand the real food that you need comes from God alone then you'll stay close to the hand of God. If you understand that the, 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 the thing that you love the most is God, you'll stay close to the hand of God. If you understand that your true value in life comes from your relationship to God, see, and that offends some people. My life is bigger than my relationship to God. Well, you don't understand how big a relationship to God is supposed to be. Second Greek word, latruo, latruo. This is what they would use. Half the time they would say proskuneo for wor- our English word worship. Half the time they would say latruo. Now latruo means to show your love for someone by serving them. And you see this really well in, in, in married couples, in good married couples, where they serve each other to show their love. They serve each other. When, when Gail was alive, she did not like me getting my own tea. And we'd have couples over. And they would say she liked to bring the plate to the table. She liked everybody to sit down. She wanted to bring the plates to the table. She liked serving people. She liked to cook. She, 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 that just what she, she loved to love the people that she loved. And that's the way she showed it. And she didn't like for me to get up and get my own tea. And people took it the wrong. People were like, wow, you just some big lazy dude in here. She got to fetch your tea. You can't even pour your own tea. Now, we're from the south, so we had pitchers of tea. I mean, you know, big tea, tea multiple tea pitchers in the refrigerator. You can't, you can't walk ten steps to get. But she wanted to do that because that was one of the ways that she felt like she could show an expression of her love to me or her guest. Service that shows your love for someone. Man opened the door for a woman. That's just not chivalry. That's an expression of Love being shown through servitude. So when I ask you, how do you worship God? Do you ever bow down and stay bowed down? Do do you stay close to the hand of the master? Do you view him as higher than you? Do you think that you can't eat, breathe, or live without his help? See, these are all dog thoughts. And this is the Greek image of what proskuneo real worship is. When I say, how do you worship? Do you latreo God? To, to latreo God means to render religious service as a way of showing love. And that's why many authors have written books that say my service is my worship. Some people, uh, well, it's not as much used to. We need more people coming up. Help, help clean this place a couple times a week. 
Some people come up and have been asked, hey, can you grab a vacuum cleaner and, and vacuum this up? And they do it. Ah, I hate vacuuming, but I'll do it because God knows y'all talk about me if I don't. <laughs> that's, not, that's not love. There are other people that are on a cleaning ministry. It's like this, I, 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 like, I like to clean. I, I'm good at it. And I want to show my love to God that way. And they're pushing a vacuum cleaner or cleaning a toilet is more than that to them. It, it's like a woman who keeps a perfect house. Now, if she does it because her husband's a tyrant and she's scared of him, then that's abuse and she needs to call somebody. But if she does it because she likes to keep her house beautiful, because she loves the people in her house and there's some way she can show her love to her family and to her husband and, and uh, your service is your worship. So if I say, how do you worship God? And you say, I don't know, or I worship him in my heart. And it's really hard to do a verb in your heart. There are some exceptions. We could talk about those at a later time. But typically it's an outward expression. It's a verb. It's an action. Worship is an action. And I, I, I'm only leaving you with these two because I'm way over time. Bowing down and staying is valuable. But what if you don't know? Well, this is just weird. It's going to be weird. And you don't know. I've told you for years. I, I bow down. My primary posture for praying is on my knees because biblical primary posture for prayer is on my knees or laying on my stomach with my head down because that's a biblical posture for prayer. Sometimes my back gets in the way of that, but when I'm physically able, that's what I do. And I've told you all for years that when I get done praying, when I get done saying the words that I can think to say to God, I don't get up. I don't end prayer and just get up. I stay in a bowed posture. And here's what I tell God. Sometimes something happens and sometimes nothing happens. And we need to be just as real about it because preachers lie to people way too much about what they experience and how it works for them. Sometimes something happens and sometimes nothing happens. I bow and I tell God, point blank, I don't know what else to say right now, Lord, but I love you. And I'm going to stay here on my knees as an act of love, worship, and humility to you. And if you want to speak to me, if you want to put thoughts in my head, if you want to guide me by your spirit, then I'm here. And sometimes God will do that. And other times I will just stay on my knees as an act of humility and as an act of worship. God says he likes us to bow down. Does it have to make, if I said it, it would really make me feel better, if you didn't keep, if you'd stop clicking that pen. You don't have to understand why I'm so OCD. You don't even have to agree with it. You, 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 but if you love me, you stop clicking the pen. See, people want to understand everything about God, but Christianity is a faith religion. And that's why a lot of intellectual people are tortured in trying to experience God because they want to be able to rationalize everything. But this is faith. Faith is believing stuff that you don't necessarily see or understand. So I stay down. Well, why, why, why should we just stay bowed down and, and for how long? There's no determined amount of time for how long. But there is a determined way to do it. You want to love God? You want to show him your love? You want Which worship pouring your love out? Proving adoration? Bow down, stay bowed down. Serve God. Do something. 
We have people that work in our food and clothing ministry just because they like helping poor people. And that's awesome. We're feeding over 800 people every week on Saturday out of this little building right next door. 800 people every week. Standing in line, waiting for hours, coming and getting. And some people do it just because they think it's noble, just because they think it's upright. But other people do it because they know that that's, that, that's their ministry. If you've never connected to, that's my ministry. That's the way I show God my love. That, that, that's, the, my, that's, my, that's my latruo. That's my, my services, my worship. This, this is how I, I flesh out this. I've got so much love in my heart that I've just got to express it. See, real love is an expressed love. And some people work in our food and clothing ministry be, because that, that's their ministry. That's how they connect. That's how they serve God. Stacking boxes, carrying food out. Not just because they like stacking boxes and carrying food, but because they know that's the way I can show love to God and love to people and make God happy with me. See, a child can clean a room halfway. Do little or nothing because the parents say clean your room. Or a child can say, you know, I know it means a lot to my dad to keep this room clean. And the kid might not care. But if they want to show dad, I, I, really, I, I, I really want you to know I work hard for you because I love you. I do whatever you say because I love you. You don't have to work to earn the love. You work to show the love that's already there. See, we don't, we don't work to get God's love. God already loves us. We work to show him that we appreciate that love. And if you ever can find your ministry, last point I'm going to make. This is a big thing. Don't miss it. If you ever can find your ministry, it will take your spirituality to a whole nother level. Church will stop being boring to you. Church, church will stop being church to you. And it will come alive and be exciting. There are people that love working in the sound booth. They're skilled. They're gifted. God gave them that passion. And it's a way they can share their love and talent to show God, I'll do this for you. How do you worship God? How do you worship God? If you're not bowing down and staying in a prostate posture for extended periods of time, then you don't proskuneo God. If you're not looking to God as your only source and your only supply, if you're counting on reason, logic, self-ability, intellect, family, money, education, then you don't proskuneo God. The dog doesn't count on any of those things. The dog views itself as less than the master. That's why proud people can never walk in faith because they're always trying to get it done on their own terms. How do you worship God? If you don't have an outlet of servitude for God, and this is one of the things that makes church exciting to some while others don't understand why we come to church so much. People come to church because they get to do their thing for God. They get to use their gifts and talents for God. They get to connect with a group of like-minded people and, and, and show God and the world, I love God so much. I'll carry heavy food boxes out to people's cars. I love God so much. I work with children. I love God so much. I'll take a turn in the nursery. How do you worship God? 
We've got to move past ideology and enter into practicality. Because the reason why this world's generation, especially in America, will not come to church is because they've already been to church and they did not like what they saw. They've already been around Christians and they did not like what they saw. So we've got to repent of our ways that have turned people off. And we've got to begin to love God in a real way where other people can at least say, well, it ain't for me, but, it, but I think they're sincere. That's the best compliment a lost person can give you. It's not, it's not my thing, but I know you believe it. And you're doing the best you can with it. Do you believe this story? Do you believe this book? Are you doing the best you can with it? Do you really love him with everything? Because Jesus said that's the only way that's acceptable to his father. Pray with me. God, thank you for your love and your goodness. Thank you, God, for showing us acceptable ways to pour our love out on you. Help us, God, to choose your way over our way. Help us, God, to admit that we don't know everything. And help us to love you the way that you tell us we should love you. God, I thank you for every person in this room who's born again. And God, I pray for every person in this room who's not truly saved, that you would show them your love and draw them to yourself. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us on Calvary and rose from the dead so that we could have eternal life. God, I pray that you would increase our love for you, increase our service for you, increase our dependence on you, increase our need and our desperation for you. We thank you for all things that you've given us. We thank you by faith in advance for what you're going to do in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church, loving God, 